Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here today, and I'm glad to know that uh, some of us that are normally here are having babies, so that was fun. I got that message this morning, and it's exciting to uh, be excited to meet these babies. I know there's some, some of y'all are related, the Williams clan. This is, uh, this is another addition to the Williams clan, so I'm sure that's exciting. I was wondering what I see any of y'all here today, but here you are. But I'm not going to say what a man. Uh, I'm not going to make that joke, but it is cool to see you all here. Um, Jordan, if you wouldn't mind, just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down if this is going to work. We, uh, I know we had uh, some issues as, as per usual, <laughs> trying to get the display to work. Um, but if, uh, if, if the display doesn't work, then you'll have to do it the old-fashioned way and use your Bible and uh, look up the scriptures with me as we go along. Um, but we're doing a series in the book of First Peter. And uh, the, one of the big ideas of the book of First Peter is hope in the midst of suffering. And what we're going to look at today is how Jesus holds all of history together. He holds all of time and eternity in his hands. Past, present, future, Jesus controls all of it. And God's grace that was prophesied in the past to the Old Testament prophets, we get to experience that grace that was prophesied in our lives now. And we also know and trust that God is carrying it forward into the future. We're also going to see in our text today that throughout history, God has a pattern that he, that he works out in time. And this pattern is a pattern of redemption. And this pattern is suffering, then glory. Suffering, then glory. And this is a, a very broad pattern, but we do see this play out a number of times in Scripture. And so if you go back through your, note, uh, through your Bibles, you'll notice that God often works this way, and God still works this way. And that can be an encouragement to us in our lives as we encounter suffering, knowing that God does have a way that he works in the world. And whenever we suffer, whenever we go through trials, that God is using that to prepare us for a future glory that we know is sure and certain to happen. And the Old Testament, or this pattern, ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself suffered and then was glorified. And we're going to see that in our text today. Because he stepped into time. God controls all of history, but Jesus himself stepped into time and limited himself to a particular time and a particular place. And because of Jesus' suffering and then glory, we know that his suffering can give meaning to our suffering, and his glory can become our glory. And this is all according to God's plan. He controls all of this. God has all of this in his hands. He controls all of time. He controls all of history. And he is moving all human events ultimately towards his purposes. And so Christians, that is a hope for us that as we go through suffering in this present time, we know for sure that that will produce glory. So God is always faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going to see that play out in our text today. So let's dig in. First Peter chapter 1, and it looks like we have, uh, we have some technology available to look at this uh, together. So we're in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at three verses. Three verses, but we're going to look at a cross-reference, a lot of scripture. But let's, let's just read our text together here. 
First Peter chapter one, verse 10 says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So that's the, the sufferings of Christ, we mentioned this pattern, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. I mentioned this a week or two ago, verses 3 through 12 in this uh, book, in chapter 1, is actually one great big long Greek sentence, very complicated. Um, So what I want to do here is just make some observations that can sort of prime our minds and to to get us thinking about what Peter's trying to communicate here. So just, these are just observations, and for what it's worth, whenever you're, you know, uh, looking at the Bible for yourself, if you're reading Scripture and you want to study it more deeply, one of the first things you do is you just stop and observe what's here. So let me give you 11 very quick observations from this text. First observation is that Peter spoke of multiple Old Testament prophets, the prophets who prophesied. So multiple Old Testament prophets, this is before the time of Christ, they prophesied about a future administration of grace. So they prophesied about the grace that was to come. Um, Three, that that, uh, this grace would be given to believers in Christ. So Old Testament prophets prophesied about grace that was to come, and that grace would be given to those of us who are in Christ, and this grace would come about through Jesus' sufferings and subsequent glories, but it would come about because Jesus suffered before he was glorified. Well, there's the other one. This would be followed by Jesus' glories. And then this grace was predicted by the Spirit of Christ, he says in verse 11, But in verse 12, he says the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that in a moment. The Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. The prophets, they didn't know all the details. Um, They only knew a redemptive pattern. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's what the prophets had access to from their vantage point whenever the Spirit revealed this to them. These prophecies were revealed to them through this this process of searching and carefully inquiring. So uh, there, was, uh, there was something, they were looking for something, and they were searching and carefully inquiring, and that was the process through which God revealed these things to them. The prophets themselves knew they were not serving themselves, but they were serving a future audience. We see that in the text. Gospel preachers then, in the New Testament times, announce the same message. They're preaching the same message very, like, in continuity with what the Old Testament prophets were, were saying. So they announce the same message, and their message is given and empowered by the same Spirit. Old Testament prophets prophesying in the Spirit of Christ, New Testament prophets are prophesying 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. And number 11, angels in heaven long to look into these things. And I love that, I love that little phrase. It seems like such a, such a random thing thrown in there, but we'll talk about that as we get to the end. So angels are watching this whole, this whole story of redemption play out, and they're fascinated by it. They think it's really cool. They love it. These are the angels, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So we're dealing with Old Testament prophecy here, and I want to talk about prophecy for a bit. Conveniently, Peter, who wrote this letter, also wrote the book called Second Peter, and in the book Second Peter, he tells us how prophecy works. So we have a better idea of what he's getting at when he's talking about prophecy from the book of Second Peter, and let's look at that text. He says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter plainly is saying here that prophecies are not self-generated, right? Prophecies don't self-generate. No man can decide to prophesy. It's not like somebody can just decide, you know what, I, I think I want... Kind of in a prophetic mood today. I think, I think I'll go and prophesy somewhere. It's not, that's not the way it works. God is the one who produces a prophecy within them. God enables them to see something or to know something that they did not know previously. And then in the knowing of that, God prompts them to communicate something. And so God alone initiates prophecy. No prophecy was ever, he, I mean, it's a, it's a categorical statement. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So you never hear a prophecy that some man just decided, I want to prophesy right now. If they do, it's a false prophecy. They're a false prophet because God, God doesn't work that way. Prophets always are, God speaks through men as they are carried along by the Spirit. And so it is the Spirit of God that produces a prophecy. So let me give you a couple of, uh, a couple of qualifiers here. Prophecy, biblical prophecy is not dictation. Dictation is, um, that's how, that's, it's kind of a misperception of what, how prophecy works. It is not a dictation. So it's not like the prophet is like, you know, hanging out in his, in his little prayer closet, and then the Lord appears to him, and then the Lord says, all right, Jeremiah, write this down. Thus, thus, saith, saith, the, the, Lord, Lord. Okay, what next? It's, that's not the way it works. It is not a dictation Men spoke from God, so they're speaking using their own voice. The men speak, they use, they, God speaks through their personalities, um, but it is their own words and their own voice, their own personality, but it is the Holy Spirit that is carrying them along, and the Holy Spirit, in, in so doing, ensures that what they say and what they write through their voice and their own personality is what God wants to communicate, and, it, and, so, and as such, it is the Word of God. So their prophets, the, the prophecies are, they, it's like the words themselves are divinely, we call this inspired. You know the word inspire, right there in the middle of that word is spirit. 
This is inspired, that's the, the doctrine of inspiration, as we would say in theology. But inspiration is the doctrine that God inspired, God breathed out His Word, and He did this through the prophets. And so the Holy Spirit ensures that what they speak and write are also the words of God. And another thing here is that biblical prophecies are built upon uh, prior prophecy or prior revelation. So it's not as though the, somebody, a prophet gets this completely out of nowhere, this radical, like, radical new revelation that departs from everything prior. It's like God unfolds his revelation slowly over time. Like theologians will call this progressive revelation, meaning there's, there is a progression. God slowly is revealing what he wants to be known about himself over time. So you see the, the initial you know, appearances of God in the Old Testament, God would appear uh, to Abraham. But God appeared to Abraham to tell him something very specific based upon, uh, you know, God appears in a, in a, in a like an interaction, like Abraham was able to interact with God because God appeared in some sort of a human form. And then later revelations were built upon what God revealed to Abraham in that covenant. So Moses was able to build upon what, what God revealed to Abraham. And then David was able to build upon what God had revealed to Moses and Abraham. And then the, the prophetic, uh, the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, these guys, they were all writing based upon things that God had already revealed prior. So it is this progression that God is revealing, building things up. So prophecy doesn't arise in a vacuum. And I say that because 1 Peter 1, we looked at the uh, scripture a moment ago, um, he says that they searched and inquired carefully. So the prophets who prophesied about the grace, the prophets who prophesied, they searched and inquired carefully so they're looking at something. They're not just out of the blue, out of nowhere, saying this is what God says. What they say always has to line up with what had already been revealed prior. Now, God builds on it and reveals new things, but always in line with what he had already revealed prior. So you could say God revealed new things as the prophets studied and prayed over the old things, but always because of the old things. And so the same Holy Spirit who spoke to them and through them all, was revealing to them what he wanted them to know at that time. So the prophecies in Isaiah are built upon the prophecies of the Psalms, are built upon the prophecies of Deuteronomy, and so on, because there's this one thread that ties the Bible together, and that is God is speaking. God is speaking, both in the acts, the things that he's doing, but also in the words that he is speaking through his prophets. So you have this, you could see like there's these little moments of history that are stitched together by, by a, a, a unified revelation of God that, that God has carried along and he's always done it this way. Now Peter said there are two things in particular that the Old Testament prophets prophesied. They predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. Those two things. So I want to give you some examples of these. So let me just uh, jump ahead here to, to those, um, those examples. The first one, the sufferings of Christ. So there are many places in the Old Testament where the sufferings of Christ are predicted and later was fulfilled by Jesus. 
So um, I can give you a couple of examples from um, Psalms, and I've got one from Isaiah. Um, But from the Psalms, Psalm 22, you might know this as one of the words that Christ spoke while he was dying on the cross. But whenever he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting Psalm 22. And Jesus, by quoting Psalm 22, he is saying, what is spoken of in this psalm applies to me. And so Psalm 22 is a prediction, an Old Testament prophetic prediction of the suffering of Christ. So, you know, a little bit further into Psalm 22, I'll just read you a few verses here. So this is Psalm 22, which would have been written roughly a thousand years before the time of Christ. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So David wrote Psalm 22 about trials that he was going through himself. And so he used this vivid language to describe a prayer of agony, to describe something he was going through, a painful experience. And yet, the Holy Spirit was speaking through David to predict something that Jesus Christ would fulfill. He would, he would experience this in a literal way. What David was prophesying about using figurative language to describe his own agony and suffering, Jesus literally experienced these things. Here's another example. This is, um, we've, we've looked at this more recently, so I'll just read this to you. But this is Isaiah 53, which may be the clearest example of an Old Testament prediction of the suffering of Christ. If it's not the clearest, it's one of the, one of the clearest. But Isaiah 53, so this would have been written about 700 years before the time of Christ. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So that was 700 years before the time of Christ. And yet, we see these, both Psalms and the book of Isaiah are describing vividly what Jesus Christ endured when he went to the cross. So these are Old Testament prophets speaking in the power of the Spirit when the Spirit is predicting through their words the sufferings that Jesus would endure. But he also said the subsequent glories. So there's the Old Testament prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ, but they also predicted the subsequent glories of Christ. Let me show you a couple of these. Here's an example from the book of Jeremiah. 
So we're looking at the glory of Jesus after the cross. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. So this is from Jeremiah's day, which would have been 500s or so before the time of Christ. And he is predicting... Um, you know, and, 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 you know, more, he's focused more on the glories, you know, the good things that happen, but he also mentions, you know, the, um, you know, that there will be some trial or something. But then he talks about all the good things that will come about as a result. And so he says things like, David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. The New Testament is very careful to document the fact that Jesus was descended from the line of David. And he also says, the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings. The New Testament also says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning that he is a great high priest forever, an eternal high priest. So Jesus is a priest and Jesus is a king, as Jeremiah predicted. Here's another one. This is Isaiah chapter 65, and this is also predicting the glories of Jesus. This is great. Now, this is wonderful. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So he's making a prediction here of a glorious future when, when, when what God will bring about is, is the good things that, were, that is the result, the fruit of the suffering of Christ. Now, there's, there's something I, I, that you may have picked up on, and I hinted at it earlier. Verse 11 um, has this, this strange statement where he talks about the spirit of Christ, and then in verse 12, he talks about the Holy Spirit. 
So who's the Spirit of Christ? Is he the same as the Holy Spirit or is it somebody different? And the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. There's something, uh, there's something really fascinating that Peter is, is doing here. When he's, he's talking about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ being predicted by the Spirit of Christ, what he is doing is he is linking Jesus himself, whom at the time he wrote this, Jesus would have been within a lifetime of, their own, of the people that he's writing to. And he's saying the Spirit of Christ, this, this guy that, we, that you heard about, that has been talked about, that you know, was here walking around within, you know, let's say, the last 30 or 40 years, the Spirit of Christ that was in him was at work in the Old Testament times speaking to those prophets. And then now, in the New Testament times, now in light of what Jesus has done, the gospel being preached to you by the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's linking the, the Old Testament guys heard from the New Testament Spirit of Christ. And the New Testament believers are hearing from the, the, who they know is the Holy Spirit. And so there's this, this, this connection together between the Old Testament and the New Testament saying there is, this is one continuous revelation of God, one continuous work of God. And in the first instance, he, instance, he refers to him as the Spirit of Christ. And in the second instance, he's, he refers to him as the Holy Spirit to show that one God is at work in all of these historical events. Because there's one God. There's not... There is not uh, a disconnect between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Like you may have heard some people say that sort of thing, but that's, that's nonsense. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus himself was at work prophesying through the Old Testament prophets about the future sufferings and glory that Jesus himself would undergo. So it's one continuous revelation from the Old Testament to the New Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, let's, uh, let's go to um, verse 12. Starting here in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving, they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So they said they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. So they're the target, the, the, the people that they were being used by God to serve were New Testament era believers. They were not serving themselves. I mean, being a prophet was not a glamorous job, and there were not many perks to it. I mean, it was a, it was a very difficult job. So they were not getting a lot of benefit from, uh, you know, at least in their lifetimes, from the, the, the role of being a prophet. It was often miserable. So God did not reveal future events to them so they could impress their friends at dinner parties. But rather, God revealed to them future events of Christ and their prophecies for the benefit of future generations. And that's, you know, that's Peter's original audience and that's you and me. They were serving us. They, they were saying things for our benefit. And then the New Testament apostles, they are preaching the same message. So he's saying they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. He's talking about gospel preachers and the, the New Testament apostles. 
So the authority that God had in the Old Testament prophets is now in the New Testament apostles. They're speaking on the same spirit, and they're preaching the same message, just the, 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 you know, the, the more full revelation of it. That's what was happening in the New Testament time. So the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit of Christ, predicted the sufferings and the glory. And then the New Testament apostles in the Holy Spirit announced the sufferings and glory. And they announced it as the fulfillment of the prophecies that went before. And it's the same Spirit that, that predicted it and the same Spirit that is now empowering the preaching of it in the New Testament times. Now, to say this, you might think, well, duh. <laughs> I know it's a trinity. I know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I know there's not some extra spirit there. These things, it's like to say this, it might seem like, well, you know, that's, that's Christianity. That's, that's fairly uh, basic Christian doctrine. And if, that, if that's how it seems to you, fantastic, great. Praise God for that. But we got to recognize how revolutionary this would have been for the people that Peter was writing to. They did not know, um, or excuse me, it was revolutionary for, for people in the Old Testament times rather, before the time of Christ, because they didn't know how these promises would be fulfilled. They knew the predictions. They knew some sketch of what God would do, but they, they did not live in the time that it was fulfilled. But Peter is saying, New Testament believers, you all, we have this benefit of knowing what God, uh, what God actually did to fulfill it. So Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 13. He said, blessed are your eyes. So he's speaking to his disciples here. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the Old Testament prophets, they lived in the times of prediction. And they longed to see the day of fulfillment, but they didn't see it. That wasn't God's plan for them. God's plan for them was to set their hope on God who keeps his promises and to trust that God would bring them to pass. That's, that's what they had. You ever watch uh, detective shows? And you, so in this detective show, they'll say, you know, they'll be like, oh, there's a killer, you know, killer on the loose out there somewhere. And uh, the, you'll have, you know, like an FBI dude or something. Well, be like, okay, well, based on what we know, we're going we're gonna to create this little profile for you. And this profile is going to be, okay, there's, it's a man in uh, his 30s or 40s or 50s. <laughs> and he's, you know, somewhere between 5'8 and 6'4". And, uh, you know, they'll give you a few other details, but it's just like they, they give you a broad range of, of, of information, and maybe they'll give you a little, a little sketch of what he looks like. It's like, you know, based on what we've heard from witnesses, you know, here's a sketch of, of what he would look like. And so based on that, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't tell us everything we need to know. In fact, it's, pretty, it, it, it's, it, it's not terribly specific, but it can eliminate a lot of possibilities, and whenever... Whenever we find the guy, we can line him up with what we heard from the sketch and from the profile and see, well, does he fit the profile? And if he does, then we know we have, there's a good chance this is our guy. That's kind of like what it was for the Old Testament prophets. They had a profile. They had some kind of a, a vague sketch, but they didn't know Jesus. They knew Messiah. They knew Branch of David. They knew, you know, uh, you know uh, 
seed of the woman uh, from Genesis 3.15, something like that. But they did not know the specifics. And that's what Peter talked about. They, he said that they searched and inquired carefully, but they didn't know the times or the circumstances or, or who. They didn't know the details and the specifics. They just had a general profile, a sketch. And that's what God revealed to them. And so they're longing to know how will God actually keep his promise? God promised to redeem us, but you know, we're getting our butts kicked by the Assyrians or Nebuchadnezzar. We're here in exile. Or it's like God says he's this great, powerful God, but why aren't we seeing it? Why aren't we seeing these things come to pass? And God is telling us, trust him, trust him, trust him, but we don't know exactly how God is going to fulfill his promises. And so what Peter is saying, it's like, hey, like, that's what, that was their experience, but they were searching and inquiring carefully. They didn't have the full picture. But we do have the full picture. We know God brings it all to pass through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was born his parents, Joseph and Mary. At least Joseph is natural father, but Mary, being, he's born of a virgin by the Spirit. But these were his parents. And we knew he grew up in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. I mean, you know, and there were all these little breadcrumbs throughout the Old Testament of little data points that would comprise this profile, this sketch. And then all throughout the New Testament, we, f we find references to the things that were in the Old Testament that were prophecies of who the Messiah would be. And Peter's saying now the same spirit that was at work predicting those things in the Old Testament, that was the spirit of Christ. That was the spirit of Jesus himself speaking through those prophets. Of course, we know him. We call him the Holy Spirit. But he's saying it's the same it's not some different God. I mean, the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit speaking through those prophets and giving indicators of what the Messiah would be like so that when he steps onto the scene, we'll be able to recognize him. And that's what he did. That's what, that's what Jesus did. So the, the Old Testament prophets, they weren't serving themselves. A lot of, a lot of them probably had, did not I mean, there are different views on whether or not they were, how aware they were of what they were predicting. But I think that they were probably mostly thinking of circumstances in their own time, but they knew that God was speaking through them to indicate something in the future, but they may not have understood much at all about what that meant. So they were not serving themselves, they were serving future generations through prophecies. And so Old Testament believers, they lived in the times of prediction New Testament Christians, which is the time that Peter wrote and everybody since then, we live in the times of fulfillment. So we live in the days when we get to see more of God's plan. We get to see a bigger picture because we have all of what God spoke before Christ and we have all what Jesus spoke um, that God wanted to preserve for us in the New Testament and the Gospels. And we also have the letters. We have the story of Acts and the church. We have all the epistles. And we have the book of Revelation. We have all of this, this full picture that God wanted to speak to us. We have all that God wanted to say to us. And we have it, you know, nicely bound in a book, if you want, or in an app. It's like we have what God wanted to say preserved for us so that we can see the fuller picture of who Jesus is. And so all of these things, all of these stories of Jesus, we get to, we get to read who is the Messiah? Who, how did God bring it about? What did he have to say? What did he accomplish? He did miracles, we know. He, he, you know we, we know like where he lived. We know all these details of his life. And the Old Testament prophets, they didn't know any of that. 
They were totally in the dark about, about how the whole thing would, would fit together, but we have the benefit of knowing those things. And so for us, living in the shadow of the cross in the New Testament time, God has given us this written record of his plan, and we know how the story ends, even though we're not there yet. We know that whatever difficulty and trial and suffering we encounter in this life, that God is going to bring about a greater glory in eternity. That's, that's what is pointing towards, just as Jesus himself went through that same redemptive pattern. So we know God uses suffering. God takes faithful suffering and turns it into glory every time. The cross precedes the crown. And the sequence of events in our lives follows that suffering leading to glory pattern. And strange as it seems, that kind of glory is uniquely human. Angels don't, get to, don't experience glory this way. And that's, that's the last thing we'll talk about here. Verse 12, that little phrase, things into which angels long to look. I think it's, it's a fascinating statement. And it's, it seems kind of, it kind of pops in there out of nowhere because he wasn't talking about angels before that. Sort of pops in there. He says, things into which angels long to look. What's he mean by this? The word long, it has, it has this idea of, of an intense desire. Like you just say, like a desperate, a longing, a craving to know. And so it's kind of like the angels are peering out over the, over the edge of heaven, looking down, just like, man, I would love to know that. I'd love to understand that. I'd love to, to be able to really relate to that because they long to look into these things. So what God has done in Jesus Christ, the fact that God has shown grace to sinful, wicked, rebellious humans is simply something that an angel cannot fully comprehend. And they can't comprehend it even though Christians, we take it for granted. But angels can't comprehend it because angels, uh, you have, they, you know, angels that serve the Lord now, it's like they're perfect. So they have no need for, for mercy because they've not sinned. And they have fallen angels, they are not offered redemption. So they, they, don't, they don't get to, they, they, the, Jesus did not die for angels. Jesus died for human beings. So for, for the angelic realm, they don't get to see the fullness, or at least the, the, they don't get to see and experience the glory of God the way we do as human beings who are objects of his mercy that he has been gracious towards. So the angels marvel that God would become human, that God would save people who hated him that God would subject himself to suffering and pain and death even though he, that, that, that was something he chose to do. The angels marvel then that God would use that very suffering to bring about an even greater glory. And so angels without sin, they worship and love God perfectly. They, they don't need mercy they, they, because they, they're, they, they are, they're, they're perfected. They, they don't need to receive mercy because they've not sinned. But angels that have sinned, they don't, they, all they have ahead of them is, is God's judgment. And so this, this idea of God's grace, that glory can come out of suffering, that God himself would enter into suffering, that is a very, that, that would be a very strange thing for them because it doesn't fit anything that, that we know of angels. It's a curiosity. And so in God's perfect wisdom, human beings, we can receive grace. God offers that to us through faith in the gospel of Jesus. 
And even angels are intricately involved in God's administration of this grace, even though they don't personally receive it. So this whole angelic realm, they're transfixed on Christ as he pours out grace upon grace upon grace to sinful people. And he even subjected himself to suffering. Perfect holy God. And they know God in his undiluted glory like, like we don't see. But they know God like that, and yet to see that same God enter into humanity, to become a baby, and to undergo suffering to redeem people that would be bored of his grace. Angels long to look into this because the grace of God is a fascinating marvel to them. Okay, that's our text. Let me give you very briefly just four application points, and they're all, they're all about things we can be grateful for, things to be grateful for. And the first one is just be grateful for the unbelievable privilege that we are the recipients of God's grace. A grace that's not even available to angels. Number two, be grateful for the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles that God appointed to serve you to bring you to faith. Peter tells us that God served us in the ministries of the, of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, even in their suffering, so that we could come to faith. They were not serving themselves, but you. They endured their trials and hardships for our sake. And then that same tradition, God continues to serve his people by sending us to preach the gospel to other people so that that tradition can continue and the gospel can continue to save souls and redeem people. Number three... Be grateful for the privilege of living on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it's something I, that's something that, that, was, that struck me as I prepared this week even, just like, how often do I really think about the fact that I live on this side of the cross and I know who my Savior is and I know stories about him and I can read his words And people right before the time of Christ and all before the time of Christ, they didn't know that. They were, hoping and they, they, they were hoping that God would save them somehow, but they didn't know exactly how it would work. And so we all, as New Testament era believers, we have this incredible privilege of being able to see a clearer picture than Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. They all had. We see Jesus. We know Jesus. They did not know Jesus. They didn't know his name. And those men even suffered for their faith, not knowing how their suffering, or even if their suffering, would contribute to God's redemptive plan. We know because this is a pattern that it does. Jesus himself fulfilled this pattern of suffering and then redemption. So it's a privilege beyond compare that we get to know God through Jesus Christ, who became a man who died and who rose for us. It's an incredible privilege. Last one, number four. Be grateful for the hope we have that God is moving all time in history to a glorious future. So even when we do suffer, our suffering is not without meaning. We don't suffer meaninglessly. We don't suffer without hope. We, we suffer even in our suffering knowing that God is in control because he is orchestrating all human events towards his plan to accomplish his purpose. 
time and eternity. He holds it all in his hands, and he guarantees greater glories in the future. And we can thank God for that. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for all the things we, we just looked at here. Thank you for the privilege of being objects of mercy, that you gave us your grace. We thank you, Father, that the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles were appointed by you to serve us, to bring us to faith, to, to even suffer for their message, but you preserved it, you wrote it down so that we can read it and know it, and so we can know you. And we thank you for the privilege of living on this side of the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, that we can know our Savior's name. We can know the stories of Jesus. We can... We can marvel and, and worship more, more, with more knowledge than people before us had. And that is a privilege. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have that you're in control of time and that you are moving all things. Like you, Nothing catches you off guard. And you are moving all things to a glorious future. And even our suffering in this life will produce a good and glorious result. Thank you, Jesus, for all of these things. And we pray it all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.